Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hey friends, welcome back to the club. I just took a big old whiff of peppermint oil to pet me up and get me ready for this awesome topic we're going to talk about today. Today, I want to talk about something, a very common health issue that I see in my nutrition practice. And it's probably the second biggest reason people come to me for help. The first is weight loss, as you might guess, but the second is tummy troubles, major digestive dysfunction that is making people miserable in the form of constipation, diarrhea, constant bloating, and all of those unfun things that go along with it. Now, a lot of people experience problems like these, and they think they're normal because they're common. Let's take me for instance. Y'all know how I like to get TMI up in here. So I grew up with constipation problems. Back in my teens, my 20s, and into my mid-30s, I had serious poop problems, and they made me miserable. I would go days and days without going. And although it made me feel awful, I thought it was quote-unquote normal because that was what was common in my family, especially among the women. I just thought, you know, we were people who didn't poop. That was just our thing. But here's the deal. And this applies to so many health issues. Just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. Just because it's in your family doesn't mean you have to receive it as normal. You may think it's normal to have diarrhea three times a day and poop only every three days. But not only is it not normal, If left unresolved, it can turn into major severe issues for your entire body. So much about your health starts in the gastrointestinal system. And if that is off, it can detrimentally affect other systems in the body. I've seen way too many people shrug off these, you know, quote unquote, little digestive issues until they grow into a gastrointestinal nightmare that seriously affects quality of life. You may have heard the term IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and this is often a big umbrella diagnosis that doctors give. But I hate to say, they don't give a lot of answers to, like the why, the how, the what to do about it. I know so many of you suffer or have loved ones who suffer with this. I have dear loved ones who suffer with this. And pretty much everything they've been offered about IBS um, from doctors are just band-aids, you know, medications to mask the symptoms. But band-aids aren't answers. I always think of Taylor Swift, band-aids don't fix bullet holes. 
Okay, so <laughs> these band-aids <laughs> are not going to cover the big bullet hole of a problem in your gastrointestinal system. Um, and so today I have invited on an expert to explain and answer some of these questions for you. And I'm so excited to have her because these answers mean that you can feel better. You will be empowered with the knowledge to know what to do. So I want to welcome Andrea Dahlman of Redeeming Nutrition. She is a fellow nutritional therapist and restorative wellness practitioner. Andrea, welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love that analogy that uh, Band-Aids don't cover the bullet holes of our problems. And that is so true as it relates to all things digestive and chronic digestive issues. So I'm excited to be here today and be able to share with your listeners some really practical ways to address some of these things so that they can ask the right questions to uh, their you know, healthcare provider and really seek out you know, what are the underlying causes and how can this look different for them? Yes. Um, when I think of the term IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, I think of some seriously angry, vengeful intestines and things like not cooperating at all. You know, like having to run to the toilet eight times a day or being so full of you know what um, that you don't even recognize your stomach. It feels like there's an alien there and it's just Oh, it's just so miserable. I lived with the constipation side of that for so many years, um, just chronic constipation. Um, and once I kind of got things figured out, it's like just a brand new lease on life, literally. Um, so let's start with the official symptoms of IBS. Kind of lay those out for us. Sure, we'll talk about that. Um, but before we do, I think that anybody who comes into this work and is thinking about it is has had experience with it and i am no stranger to that so a lot of these symptoms i personally have experienced and it's like crippling it's life crippling and you don't get to have this the quality of life that you would love to have but ibs is stands for irritable bowel syndrome and what we would the one of the very first symptoms that people tend to have is if there's pain triggered by eating, but then it's relieved after using the restroom. So that could look like I ate a meal at a restaurant and then have an emergent need to use the bathroom. That's my, has been my personal experience until I just undercovered some of those root causes of what was causing the issue. Um, diarrhea can be one of those things that people will experience and not just like the occasional diarrhea, but chronic diarrhea, where you're going more than one or two consecutive days or multiple times in a day that can definitely point towards IBS. Bloating is often um, associated with IBS. And that will really come from um, people who tend to run on the more constipated side. So as that stool is sitting in the colon, it's you know, creating more fermentation, and then we're experiencing more bloating. So that can happen as a symptom. Uh, other kind of side symptoms could include things like nausea or headaches, and that's from the body not being able to eliminate and those toxins kind of getting reabsorbed back into the body and it having nowhere to go. So it really kind of makes us feel sick all over. So those are some of the main um, reasons that people 
get or would be diagnosed with IBS. Okay. I, I mean, I don't think people realize, you know, when there's a constipation problem, I mean, I certainly didn't ever think about this or know to think about it, that when there's constipation, I mean, it, it goes beyond just being uncomfortable and being like, Oh, I feel, you know, I feel big and I feel, and you know, just, you'd feel gross, but literally inside right. it is gross because you're recirculating toxins in the body. And it's just, um, you know, creating this very toxic situation inside. And so you just, you feel bad on a different level. You don't even realize not just because you're so bloated, but these toxins are just kind of, you know, recirculating and it ugh, just feels yeah. not good. Right. And it really puts a uh, stress on other parts of the body when that happens, like the liver really takes a big hit because all of those toxins then have to go back up to the liver to be research, to be dealt with and then pushed back out. So there's an impact of being like chronically constipated that a lot of people don't, aren't even thinking about beyond just the fact that they're uncomfortable. I personally have, uh, I know you like to share TMI and, um, oh, yeah we have talked about this offline, but one of the things that I experienced where I was like, I personally struggled with the IBS. And I remember just feeling crippled when I was on a field trip in college and I had flown to New York. We it was a week long trip in New York and they were taking us from downtown New York into um, a manufacturing plant. I was a fashion merchandising student at the time. And I remember thinking we had to get on the bus and ride on the bus for 40 minutes. And I was freaking out because I knew that I wouldn't be able to, I was worried like I, cause I had been eating food I wasn't familiar with. And I got on the bus and I was so relieved to see a bathroom, but even then the bathroom being there, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I, if I use that, everyone is going to know what's going on with me. And Close it, quarters. it really, <laughs> yes. Like, I guess my classmates are going to know more about me than they want to know, but it is really, it's so scary for people. And like I said, like, like just life crippling. I mean, really, so that's, I, that's like, I, I can't go 40 minutes. Like you can't be yeah. feel safe and fine in a 40 minute time period. I mean, that really right. is just, you know, a quality of life issue. Right. Right. And a lot of people will kind of dismiss it or they'll just kind of put the band-aid on like we were talking earlier you're saying earlier like oh I'll just take you know either something to make it so that I don't use the bathroom like a Pepto-Bismol or something like that or go on the other side and they're like oh or I'll take Miralax so that I can go so but that doesn't really get to the to the root cause and that's really in my work with clients it's really what trying to understand and we'll talk a little bit later on in the podcast about like what are some of those things that people could be looking at yeah. Well, when does a person like cross that line from, you know, digestive discomfort, this is, you know, just kind of more irritating to, you know, full blown irritable bowel syndrome diagnosis? Yeah, that's a good question. And how do you so I always tell people don't self diagnose, like you really need to <laughs> like these are just guidelines like as I go through these I don't want anyone to be like yeah that's me I have it so really you should rule out the more serious things and we'll talk about the more serious conditions but um, IBS is when all of the more serious conditions have been ruled out then the doctor will say it's IBS and the way that they determine that is if you are experiencing these symptoms more than 25% of the time. 
So 12 out of 52 weeks of the year. If you have pain and it goes away after using the bathroom, that's one of the markers that they'll use to say, okay, this is IBS. Um, it's What's interesting is that more women tend to be in, in this condition than men, uh, almost twice as many. About 20% of the population suffers with some level of IBS, and it can be called uh, colitis or spastic colon. So if you have been to the doctor and they're saying that, well, you could fall under this umbrella. Um, let's talk about using the bathroom. What's normal? You're going, having a bowel movement specifically. So mm -hmm. one to three times a day would be considered normal. If you're I'm going always, less I'm, than that. I'm jealous of those three times a day people. Like I, <laughs> I would like to get, I'm sorry, but nothing feels better. Like if I can get up and like take a big poop, like my, I'm like, yes, my day is going to be awesome. Right. It just feels so good. So I am right. a little envy for all the people that eliminate a little bit, a little bit more frequently, but not too frequently. So yes, tell us what's too frequent. Right. right. So one to three times a day. And if you think about it, we eat three meals a day. We should be going about three times a day. Um, and then if it's more than three times a day, that's when we get into the questioning of like, is that one too many or is it two too many? And then the quality of the stool, of course. So if it's too hard or too soft, that could be indicators that there's something that's off. So <laughs> that just made me think of Goldilocks and the three bears. I'm sorry. We want, <laughs> right. we want a poop that is just right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you're not familiar with the Bristol stool chart, that's a good, uh, thing to google up and and look at because it really gives people an indicator of you know yes. what's normal and what's abnormal so yeah one to three times a day it's good and they should be solid they should sink to the bottom of the bowl they should be brown in color um i spend a lot of time talking about other people's poop <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> what's your hobby other people's poop that's me Oh, um, I'm, I'm but sorry. All alternate... these things are coming to my mind. Like, uh, never. <laughs> sorry, like these songs, like, I don't know. I'm kind of from the hood and this rap song came into my head. OPP other, but that's not what yeah. it's meant for. But anyway, no. um, <laughs> right. kid, rap people are going to be with me there. But okay. I had a quick question though. Okay. You said yeah. a good poop will sink to the bottom, like a, a normal poop. So if people have floating poops, what you know what is that what could that mean so normally if uh the the stool really is just the byproduct of everything that your body isn't using right so all of the waste essentially if the stool is floating it can indicate that there's fat present in the stool if there's because fat floats right so if your body isn't actually taking in all of the fat that you're eating sometimes it will end up in the stool and it will cause it to float. And then that's a question of like, is your gallbladder working properly? Are you breaking down your fats properly? Do you have the right percentage of fat in your diet? Is it too much for your body to process? So those are things that you go back and look at. Um, so you really do want it to be sinking. If it floats, if you don't freak out, like some people will call me or my clients will message me. I'm like, oh, my poop floated. If it was one time, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's only if you're seeing that really consistently that you need to start asking questions. Okay, that's good info. Everyone's going to be looking at their poop. I think everybody should look at their <laughs> poop. It's kind of sounds like your body. Yes. You. I mean, it's how your body processes everything that you eat. So you really do want to be taking a look at that. 
you know, are you seeing food in your stool? Is there, is it floating or sinking? What's the color and the quality of it? And then even are you, when you sit down to go, are you efficient when you use the bathroom? Like you shouldn't be in there for 10 or 15 minutes. Now I will say moms get a pass as long as you've done your business and you just need a break. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> but leave me alone. I'm still going to the bathroom in here. <laughs> right. Just a minute. Uh, mom's coming. Uh, but going funny. back. Okay, to I totally derailed that, you. Yes, go ahead. No, it's fine. The other things that people experience that doctors will define as, okay, this is IBS, is abdominal bloating or swelling, like unexplained, what feels unexplained. Um, And then sometimes mucus in the stool. Now, this is where I kind of put a little asterisk on mucus in the stool. If it happens, you know, once in every six months, probably not a big deal. But if you're seeing it regularly, this is something that really could be pointing to a more serious condition. So you need to be checked for celiac and Crohn's, diverticulitis. Sometimes um, endometriosis will cause that and ulcerative colitis. So if you're seeing abnormalities with mucus, that's that's something else you need to make sure and rule that out. So the thing about IBS is that it's what it, you the doctor will diagnose you with after all of the more serious conditions have been explored. And they're saying, no, we're not seeing that. No, we're not seeing that. No, we're not seeing that. So in a sense, it's kind of a junk drawer. Um, we don't really know what's wrong. So we're just going to call it IBS. Mm. Well, that's not helpful. No. <laughs> and then people call me and they're like, I can't yes. live like this. Oh, right. Exactly. I'm in the junk drawer. Right. Um, I'm like, I'll get you out. <laughs> yeah, or at least help you, know, you manage it. Yes. And what's so sad is typically it's, this is like years and years before somebody, you know, whether realizes they live with it for so long, they don't realize it's, you know, abnormal they you know their doctors are just maybe not um you know they might kind of be back and forth to the doctor before the doctor says okay well let's you know let's rule out celiac or you know Crohn's Mm or or colitis or whatever it might be um and so you know this it can be a long process to and and then and be like well that's nothing you have IBS to finally get to this IBS diagnosis so I feel you know I feel for people in this situation Right. And there's one thing that I try to educate my client population around is like, be your own health advocate. The only person that's going to fight for you is you and your doctors are doing the best they can, but they're managing the care of a lot of people. And it would be lovely if, you know, they only saw 12 people in a year and they could dedicate a month at a time to each person, but that's just not the reality. They're trying to manage and help a lot of people. So you know, be educated and, and ask the right questions. And I hope that by the end of the podcast, people will be able to say, oh, okay, I need to really explore this particular thing because that's something I'm experiencing and could it be pointing to this and I could get better answers because yes. the doctors, they don't have time to read all of the most current journals and everything. It's just, it's, they have a lot to manage and they're doing the best that they can, but you know, we have to advocate yes. for our own health. Absolutely. Okay. Well, yeah, let's get into some of the root dysfunction going on. Like what, where is the train going off the tracks that leads to this um, IBS or, you know, these more serious um, situations? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's a lot that goes on with the body as it relates to 
whether your body is handling all of the foods that you're eating well. And one of the first things is that the nerves and the muscles are, there's like a dysfunction that happens there and they're not talking correctly. Um, I don't want to get too like nutrition geeky, but your brain and your gut have this connection through the vagus nerve. And that's really like how well your that that conversation is happening from your butt to or from your gut to your brain, <laughs> Not your butt to your brain, your gut to your brain. I mean, I mean kind of uh, ultimately. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I guess that's where we're going. <laughs> um, we want to make sure that that communication is really happening well between the two, so that you can have uh, efficient bowel movements. Uh, if the bowel looks fine but there's pain discomfort that won't keep coming that won't go away and it keeps coming back that can be a level of inflammation that's there and that could be caused by you know eating the wrong foods or dietary situations so that can be a root cause or dysfunction that's going on but more often it's because the digestive tract becomes irregular and uncoordinated in movement and that's due to something uh, called your migrating motor complex, or in our geeky world, we call it the MMC. So your migrating motor complex is this, I call her the housekeeper, well, her, because I'm a her. Um, and what happens is that after you eat food, it gets processed, and then this migrating motor complex comes in and does this housekeeping wave and sweeps through to help process and push the rest of the food through. And it's this lovely peristalsis movement that's supposed to happen. But because of our diet and our lifestyle and the ways that we're eating, that can become dysregulated. And it can become either overly heightened, which is what people will experience with um, diarrhea, or it can become weaker and the, that peristalsis slows down and you have low motility. And so that's something that needs to potentially be worked on. Can I ask you a question about the um, migrating motor complex, the MMC? Um, so you, you call it a house cleaner. So somebody, you know, that's what comes in, kind of cleans the house, gets the peristalsis going where the, you know, poop's going to be kind of squeezed down the system. Um, but does timing of eating, will timing of eating affect this? Because I would think that if you're eating kind of all day, you're grazing, you're one of those people that's like, oh, I have to eat every two hours, whether from blood sugar dysregulation or because that's what some, you know, diet person told you to do to keep your metabolism rubbed up, you know. Um, <laughs> right. But I would think that if you're always eating, it's like your housekeeper can't come in and clean and get the job done if it's, you know, if you're always putting stuff there. Right. Is that right? Yeah, and I like I liken it to a mom who's trying to clean the bathroom, and then their kids are want to come in during the middle and like use the bathroom. It's like I can't get it clean because <laughs> you keep coming in and using it. So, <laughs> the timing of meals is important. Now, that the exceptions to this will be people who are trying to regulate blood sugars. So, if you're someone who's type one diabetic or type two diabetic, and you're really trying to keep your blood sugars stable, and you have a very specific reason that you need to eat more frequently then you kind of get a pass on this a little bit. There's ways to work on that, but that I'm, and that's a little bit more technical. However, for the rest of the population, you know, having three main meals a day is better and having that spacing of three to four hours between those meals so the housekeeper can come in and do the wave 
and I think I'm from Seattle and the waves, uh, the migrating motor complex needs time between meals to come in and do that housekeeping wave. Yes. That, I mean, it so, makes sense. Yeah. So in, in that, if that's ideal, and I love intermittent fasting for that reason too, because when we can kind of shorten those windows, like our eating window and get a good fasting time, we really get a great digestive reset as a result as one of the side effect benefits of intermittent fasting. Um, and there's lots of different ways to do intermittent fasting. And if you're not familiar with it, like start off with a larger eating window and a shorter fasting window, and then, you know, adjust until you find something that works best for you. Yes, that's good advice. Now, there are some other root dysfunctions that can happen around, um, there's theories around that antibiotics or antacids or even laxatives disturb the gut flora and your gut flora really determines the health of your, not only your digestive system, but your entire body. So if the bacterial um, strains get out of balance, your healthy versus your dysbiotic flora, that can affect uh, the IBS symptoms for sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That we, I've been talking a lot about that lately in the podcast, just that the good, um, the, having that balanced garden of bacteria, yes. you know, and not too many weeds in there right. messing things up, you know? So yeah, yeah. that it, it goes, it goes back to that. So, so often. Right. Well, and it, even beyond, like, I love the theory or the analogy of the garden where it's like you have your flower garden and that's your healthy bacteria and you have the weeds, that's the dysbiotic flora, which we all have a little bit of weeds. It's just if the population's in control, it's really, we want to make sure that the pests don't come. And those are the, um, you know, parasites and worms and well, obviously worms are good in a real garden, but not in us. We don't yeah. want worms. No worms, please. Yeah. And no I thanks. see that a lot, actually, when I run stool panels for clients, there's worms will show up and people will be like, I did not know I had a worm. That yeah. just happened I mean, it, to, it... I had a client who was really struggling and he was having a hard time gaining weight. And we had been working together for years, working on different stuff. And finally I said, let's run a stool panel. It came back that he had a worm and now we've gotten rid of the worm and he's starting to turn he's starting to be able to gain weight but but he was never able to gain weight oh, that's why i just did a podcast on the um you know the the stool testing and the food sensitivity testing because they can be so revealing i mean you can really be yes. doing all the right things and then have no yes. idea there's like this critter inside you that's sucking the life out of you or creating some total imbalance root cause of right. the I call them in um, <laughs> I call them the unfriendlies. <laughs> yeah, well, you can say that's right on unfriendly for sure. Um, yeah, so I love I love the testing so, so helpful. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so we can move on to like the underlying causes. And that kind of is a great transition of what like are the causes? What can people like? Why do I have IBS? It's not Crohn's, it's not celiac, it's not diverticulitis. So what's causing this, right? And people will get super frustrated. And probably the top two things are food intolerances or food sensitivities. Now, a food allergy, which most of us are really familiar with, 
is something like a peanut allergy or shellfish allergy, where we have a, a situation where our body goes into anaphylactic shock or swelling or hives or a rash, like we have an immediate response to that. Um, those people will carry like an EpiPen with them. That's a true food allergy. But food intolerances are a lack of enzymes to be able to break our foods that we don't have the right enzymes that we're not naturally making, and we can't break those foods down. So uh, a common example of that would be around dairy, where we don't have the enzyme to break down that lactose, and so it's causing distress to our system. And if we know what that is, we can either put the enzyme in to help you know, the body, or we can remove the food depending on what you know, the client's preference is. But that's something that can be addressed. So are people experiencing IBS because they actually have a food intolerance? They're missing the enzymes to break down that particular food. The other side of that is food sensitivities. I should say food intolerances are more immediate. You, If somebody has a food intolerance, it's kind of an immediate response. But food sensitivities, that can be an immediate response or a delay up to almost three days. So if you're eating something in your diet that your body does not agree with, it you could have IBS-like symptoms. And so removing those foods for a period of time and then doing some uh, work around the leak, like potentially a leaky gut and helping the body heal and seal that so that you can bring those foods back eventually. So that's kind of a, some people have food sensitivities for a long time and other people are able to heal and seal and return to those foods within a matter of years. So it's dependent on the person because that small intestine is a very um, large area if you took your small intestine out, you laid it out, it would fill the area of a tennis court. So that's depending crazy. on, <laughs> I know, it's like, that's a lot of real estate in there. Seriously. <laughs> so the, but, but addressing those food sensitivities are really important. That was for me. So for me, I found out that I can't eat dairy. I can't eat um, gluten and eggs. And I have been working on that for about 15 years, and I have not been able to return to um, any of those in total. I can have now small amounts of them, and I'm okay. Like an egg baked into something is okay, but a scrambled egg, that would just, that would wreck me. I would. I would be right back on that bus in, in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. Oh, uh, well, I just got my food sensitivity panel back and, you know, I had dairy came back for me, you know, very highly reactive wheat and uh, which I don't eat anyway and tomatoes, which is kind of sad because I love salsa oh, and tomato pie, salsa. But I, I know, but I had a ton of yellows, like, you know, uh, or I had a ton of moderately reactive people are like yellows. What does mm -hmm. that mean? Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, like in healthy things, like beef and basil and blueberries and apples and all these things. And, um, you know, those are not things I would have ever guessed in a million years, you know, spinach that I eat quite yeah. frequently, um, would be inflaming me on the inside. That's just what I love this, you know, these tests come in so handy. It's like, tests don't guess. Let's figure right. this out. Let's like nip all this in the bud. Let's take out what we need to take out. Let's heal up the gut and let's just let's do this thing. Like, you know, it just get right. to the point so much more efficiently. I'm just, I'm so excited about these tests that we can use. Yeah. I actually went back through a, a training that I had done a few years ago 
um, it's called bio-individual nutrition, because I was seeing all of these food sensitivity panels come back and it felt like what's random. But a lot of those foods, they have uh, singular properties within them that are common. So what's interesting for me when I look at a food sensitivity panel, you know, maybe like mushrooms and uh, bananas or something like a, a big long list. And I'm like, oh my goodness, these actually have a phenolic um, component or an oxalate component or an amine component. Yeah, if you have a high phenol food or a high oxalate food or a high amine food, sometimes when you look at that list, it's that you need to reduce the loads of those foods. And it's a matter of rotation rather than complete elimination. And that can be super helpful for people because all, uh, really what we want is people to be eating the broadest, most diverse diet that their body can handle, right? So we don't really want to come in and do this massive elimination if it's not necessary. So sometimes looking at that food sensitivity panel gives us, gives us good information so that we can help manage these IBS symptoms and address them, but also gives us a light into that person to say, you know what? Your, your body can't handle a high amine diet. And if it ha if you do, it puts stress on it. So you just need to be, you need to know what those are and be able to rotate them. And so it doesn't place a burden on you, which is really kind of a little different way that I look at those food panels. But, and I get, I get, yeah, I get calls from um, doctors that I work with and they're like, okay, this is the list of foods, what's going on here? And I look at all my different lists and I'm able to say, okay, that's this their person kind of falling in this category. So, you know, try this and see if it's helpful. And a lot of times that it is. So, especially if it's not a high reactive. So if it's like in that yellow or a low yellow, then that's where I kind of ask those questions. Yeah. So some of the other things that can cause IBS is imbalances in that gut bacteria. And we kind of alluded to that earlier. So that garden analogy, you know, you're, you're, you don't have a lot of your flowers, you're good, you're beneficial bacteria. And you have a uh, dysbiotic flora in high populations or the pests. So the parasites or the worms or pa potentially pathogens like um, bacterial pathogens like C. diff or Giardia, um, those can really cause a lot of digestive issues and they're they're more common now because of travel the fact that we can travel more than we've ever been able to do before and how we are able to cross over so if people have had food sensitivity panels or if people have had and they've done that work or they feel like their diet is good it really does make sense to do a stool panel just to make sure like that client that I had been working with for a few years, it came back and he had a worm. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, I told, I tell my clients, I, I'm not going to run a food sensitivity panel without the, without the um, stool test. I just, you, if you're going to do, yeah. one, do, I'm like, you're going to do the stool test and then um, let's just do it all, you know, all at the same time or just do the stool test because it's so, yeah, they're just, they're so revealing. You could have that food sensitivity panel come back and it's like, oh, well, obviously I have a gut problem, but I don't know what it is specifically. So, um, yeah, I just think yeah. they're both so complimentary and helpful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I actually love if somebody is showing signs of a lot of bloating. The other thing that I like to run is an organic acids test. That test 
tends to capture um, environmental things as well as mold and really sensitive to yeast. So if that's the, the, the stool panel doesn't always pick those things up. It's a little more difficult, and the, but the organic acids test does a, a very nice job of doing that. So that's other testing people can be inquiring their practitioner about. Okay, good deal. Well, um, that's a lot. That is a lot for people to consider, you know, um, if they're experiencing that. So definitely look at, you know, think about those and jot those down, take them to your healthcare practitioner. We've got these things going on. I don't, you know, if your health care provider is not offering any kind of, um, you know, assistance, help, guidance, what do you do? Let's, can we talk about some of these things that we can do to address, um, address yeah. IBS? Like what, what can we do here? Right. So the first thing would be make sure you do not doctor Google and self-diagnose. <laughs> so hard not to do that. It is. I do it too. I'm like, you type in the random symptoms and you're like, oh no, my toenails are all going to fall off Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> on the 14th of this month because <laughs> there was a north wind. Yeah. Like <laughs> just stop. <laughs> I actually tell my clients when they first start working with me, I'm like, no Googling. I am your Google. <laughs> you yes. must ask me first. Uh, but don't Dr. Google. Please make sure that you don't have a more serious condition. Because some, especially like on the constipation side, I get super concerned about that because I had a friend who was chronically constipated. And because it never got resolved, it, her story went to stage four colon cancer. Like when we're talking about that it can get serious, it can get serious real fast. So do your due diligence and make sure that you've ruled out the more serious stuff. If they if you go to the doctor and they're like, it's IBS, then okay, what what are other things that you can do? Check for food sensitivities. We talked about that. If you're like, I can't afford the testing right now, then remove the top five allergens for 21 days. Okay, so what are the top five allergens? Eggs dairy, wheat, or gluten, soy, and corn. Yep, those are the biggies. So if we can remove those for 21 days and see if your symptoms improve. Another idea is we were talking about earlier the, the connection between our brain and our gut. And the way that we can work on improving that connection is to practice conscious eating. And what I mean by that is be present with your food. I have a, a client right now, he um, is a lawyer and because of the stress in his job, I've asked him once a day during the middle of your day when you eat your lunch, I want you to go to your couch or conference room and I want you to leave everything else on your desk and just eat your food, you and your food for 10 minutes. It is hard to do that. It is, no, it's hard. No phone, no book, no magazine, just you and your food. Yes, I'll tell you, and I, I, you know, I, of course we know this cause this is how we were trained. And so, you know, that you have to, you have to be in that parasympathetic relaxed state for your, mm -hmm. your body to be ready to, to receive that food um, right. and to release the gastric juices, to break it down, all that stuff. But, right. you know, we're so 
we're so busy and I have, I think this is one of the reasons that I recently, you know, my panels came back kind of so much worse than I thought, but that because I've been so busy, I've been rushing through my meals more. I'm like, oh, it's not a big deal if I just sit here while I'm working on the computer and eat my food. But you know what will happen is an email will pop up or, or something work related will pop up and I'll get, I can feel that like shooting of cortisol. Yeah. Cause I'm like, Ooh, mm -hmm. that just like set off. That just made me stressed to think about that. Okay. That your right. body does not digest when it's having, you know, shooting cortisol going off. You know, if you're thinking about stressful things or you're working while you're eating or you're driving and you're in traffic and you're, you're mad and you're trying to shove down a protein bar or whatever, like the body is not receiving that, <laughs> you know, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, and so yes, it's, it eat, does like take practice. practice. And I tell clients eating, like, you're not going to be food. able to do it three times a day. Maybe, maybe you can only do it for one meal, but start there. Yes. It's better than zero meals. And I, you know, I also like to, right. um, as we are here in the Christ Christian health club, I like to remind people that one of the best ways to, um, really kind of come quickly into that, relaxed state is just to say thanks over your food. You know, just that, that gratitude, just being mm. grateful, thanking God for the food and that um, mm -hmm. it has been, you know, provided yep. to you and that it, you know, sustains you. Uh, that just really helps everything just kind of relax. So I, I think that's a, you know, just kind of saying grace over your food. I think that really, really helps. Yeah, I agree. So another, um, and we talked about this with the stool panel. So check on your digestive system. It, have a stool panel run. Go to someone, and I really prefer the GI map, which is DNA sequencing. It's a little bit different than having a culture done. Well, what I love about having a stool panel is it not only tells you what potentially is dysbiotic, it also tells you what your good populations are. And that's really important. Because we need to make sure your the healthy flora is in healthy populations. Otherwise, it leaves us more vulnerable for those other dysbiotic or pathogens to grow. So we want to make sure that they're balanced in the right populations. And that can really, the stool panel gives you visibility of that. Digestive support. <laughs> that can look like enzymes, what we were talking about earlier, if your body's missing enzymes. And I kind of mentioned uh, that the liver takes a hit when you've been more chronically constipated. So perhaps some sort of liver support. I would work with a practitioner to determine what is the best for you. And then probiotics, I think, are a good add. But if you're new to probiotics and you've not been taking them before, Less is more. So don't go after like the 200 billion. Start with like a smaller, a 5 billion or a 10 billion. Um, and that can help with the reseeding and repopulating of bacteria. A lot of those are that we take as a probiotic are just transient, meaning that they're just going to pass through. But those, they have a very definite benefit because some of them die in the system and then feed our residential bacteria. So there's a very delicate balance there and you can help the populations by taking a probiotic. If you're somebody who's been suffering with diarrhea, you're more on that side of the IBS, make sure that your electrolytes 
are that you're supplementing there and that is easy if you do just plain coconut water a couple times a week that's a beautiful way to help restore electrolyte balance in the body because uh, coconut water has naturally occurring electrolytes yes that's a, i love that for rebuilding that electrolyte balance right I don't um, love the taste of coconut water. I do have to say yeah, that, but. <laughs> right. And you have to have the plain because, I mean, it would be lovely to have like the fruit juice flavored one, but mm, no. Yes. Okay. So uh, if you're someone who struggles with the bloating piece of IBS, you're going to want to watch fructose, sorbitol, and xylitol. They really create stress in the GI tract for, for some people. Now, fructose can be in the form of fruit as well. So for some people who really experience a lot of bloating, that potentially can be because of fruit. So no, I'm not saying don't eat fruit. I'm saying be aware of that. I like people to eat fruit by, them, by itself. That's a great way to understand yeah, if the fruit is causing question. the bloating. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. Uh, what about, um... oh, go ahead. I was going to say foods that tend to uh, cause IBS or kind of stimulate it are things like chocolate, coffee, soda, and really high fat foods. So deep, think deep fried foods like French fries. Probably shouldn't be eating those anyway. Right. <laughs> Maybe but, one. Uh, chocolate and coffee. I know. Uh, Sad face. I <laughs> I do like the chocolate and coffee. Um, what about um, what about vegetables? Um, you know, sometimes those can be a little bit bloating, um, but you'd recommend that they are, or in, what what I recommend typically is to you know cook them as far as opposed to eating them raw. That's a little bit harder to break down in the system. Right. I think if you're diet more, yeah, if you're digestively compromised. I say cook 75% of your vegetables and only do 25% raw and see how that works for you. Yes, I think that that can be helpful. Just it's that it's kind of just giving your body a head start on the on the breaking down of the food. So right. yeah, I think that's that, right. That's definitely right. helpful. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, what about is that everything as far as addressing? Um, kind of generally yeah. addressing IBS. That was a lot for people. I'd love that because it's a lot for people to apply and, and practice. Right. I, I'm there, of course, I would say, you know, reach out to a nutritional therapy practitioner because we're going to have a more holistic look at the whole problem and help you get back your body. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> What about, um, what about immediate relief for constipation? Because, you know, when you're in the moment and you are just like, oh God, yeah. you know, like, I'm so miserable. I got to poop. Like, what, what do you recommend to get it moving like quickly? So I, there's a couple of different things that I would suggest. If it's been going on for a short period of time, I like people to add between two and 400 milligrams of magnesium glycinate. And that you take it before bed. But start slow with just 200 first and see if that's helpful. And then you can increase. 
don't don't go straight there. Um, that's the first thing I would do. Water, I you have to make sure your water. If you're someone who's constipated, you have to make sure you're drinking the right amount of water because even all of the things that we're talking about, if your water's off, it's not going to make any difference. I mean, for a lot of people, that is straight up the problem, just not enough water. Right, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. that can definitely be the issue. Um, and then the obviously, I like uh, Epsom salt baths. That can be helpful for people. So to take an Epsom salt bath before bed, then do the magnesium glycinate, and then hopefully we'll see some movements in the morning. If you're someone who's experienced um, more chronic, like it's been going on a really long time and you feel like you've tried all the things, there's a supplement called Trifala. I think that's how you say it. T-R-I-P-H-A-L-A, -A, which I think that's how you spell it. I didn't write it down. Um, and that one is um, kind of some Ayurvedic type herbs that have, like for my more chronic clients, that can be a helpful um, supplement to start. And, you know, start low and slow, you know, try one, see how you do, and then move up as you can. But I mean, even my most chronic people, like two a day is enough. Okay. So you don't like, you know, be so, think you're so miserable that you just down a handful and then you're going to have major no, problems. don't do that. <laughs> yeah. You want your body to problem. do what it's naturally supposed to do, right? You don't want to over supplement yourself and then become dependent yes. on those things. Although you can't really become dependent on magnesium. Um, if you take too much magnesium, you're going to know. <laughs> you're going to know you took too much magnesium. Yes. <laughs> Yep. It's going to come on out. Um, yeah. okay. I have, let me ask you this. Um, what about Miralax? Because I swear it's prescribed to like every kid in the world who doesn't poop, you know, you take your kid to the doctor, like they're not going to the bathroom and Miralax is kind of the first answer. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I get that question a lot and I do see it as well. I don't really take a lot of kid clients. I have had some in the past and they have come on Miralax and even adults there have, I have adults that come, you know, their doctors like, okay, Miralax. Um, there, I think that there are a very rare and specific reasons why potentially someone actually needs Miralax. But for the majority of the population, I don't believe that that's like the long-term answer. Um, because I, I really, and I don't have a good like connection back. I'd have to go back on and get back to you on this. But I think that the Miralax affects your migrating motor complex and how well you can do that peristalsis and the sweeping movement. Um, they say that it doesn't stimulate, but I just there's something there that just doesn't jive with everything that I know. So I, I kind of feel like cautious about that. Like how, how much should we be using it? Um, if a kid isn't pooping, like I really want to go back and look at their diet frequency of eating their water and make sure that all of those things are in order and fiber to a lot. It's harder when the kids are little to get them to eat like fruits and well, fruits, not so much, but vegetables and like, um, whole grains that, you know, like brown rice, for example. Um, and that can sometimes be the underlying cause is just that their diet is not right. But if the kid, if, if I have a kid that isn't pooping, 
and I'm trying to transition them off of Miralax, we will use like a magnesium therapy as we try to like help their body to, to do the natural process itself. But yeah, Miralax is tricky. I have had a couple clients where it was medically necessary for them to be on it. But those are the, I think those are more rare cases. I don't think it's the right answer for the long term for everybody. Right. I feel like that's when that's kind of one of the go-to band-aids that gets slapped. Yeah. yeah. Can't poop sure. and relax. But yeah, like you right. said, how about how about just basics? Like are you, you drinking some water? Or are you right. getting any, you know, fiber through real food? You know, that kind of thing. There are definitely things to check before we make that a part of the daily, you know, right um, yeah. situation. Um Awesome. Uh, well, we're kind of coming upon the hour here. And so this was so fantastic with all this information. I feel like people are like, okay, I need to listen again and write all this down because there's so much <laughs> good stuff here. And that makes me really happy. Um, but before I let you go, I like to ask my guests two questions. Um, I call them my anchor questions. Um, what is your favorite anchor meal? Like your kind of go-to healthy meal. You always have the ingredients and, um, you know, it's gonna make you feel good. You can make it quick, you know, and all that good stuff. Yeah. So that would be a, um, chicken stir fry, which, which is basically, um, whatever vegetables I have in my refrigerator and then some, chicken and it could be chicken thighs or chicken breast depending on what we had for dinner the night before um, i try to eat that for breakfast because if i can get at least four three to four cups of vegetables right off the bat in the morning i feel like i'm ahead of the game so that's kind of like what my typical breakfast is it looks like dinner but that's my anchor meal really like starts my day <laughs> I love um, leftovers for breakfast. And I tell um, my people who come through Feast Faster in the Christian Health Club, I'm like, there's no, you know, breakfast police. They're, they're going to come knock on your door. If you have something that doesn't look like a traditional, what we think of as a traditional <laughs> breakfast, you know, like no breakfast police. So if you want to have chicken stir fry for breakfast, well, by all means, go for it. That's like the healthiest way um, to start a day, some protein right. and vegetables. I mean, that's, uh, that's amazing. Some, you know, healthy fat. I love it. Yeah. That's, that's a great yeah, one. That's, um, that, that's my go-to. And you stir fry pretty I fast. Was, yeah. So easy. And I, I'll even use like leftover salad. Like I'll throw it in there. <laughs> like, well, we had a little salad and it's kind of, maybe kind of wilty or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, stir fry it up. <laughs> that's what's great. It's like kitchen sink, like all, whatever you got, totally. throw it in there. Love it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay. And uh, last anchor question here. What is kind of your anchor Bible verse right now? That's just kind of keeping you going that resonates that inspires you. Do you have one that's kind of on your brain? Yeah, that's, I love this question so much. Um, it's Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. I think we live in such a world that it's busy, go, go, go. And we are stuck in this kind of what feels like our rat race of our life. And I don't know, just to have, just to just be still and to just sit in that and know that God's got it handled. Whew, that's just, it just gives me peace. Uh, I know that just makes you take a deep breath, like just hearing it. And um, people, mm -hmm. I would also say, be still when you're eating. <laughs> and know right. that he is God. Say grace over that meal. Relax. <laughs> digest your food well. Just 
please, 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 please. It'll um, help alleviate so many problems. I loved this. Right. This was yeah. so awesome. I learned so much. I know the listeners did. Um, how can people find you if they want more help? Where's the best place? So my website is my name, andreadalman.com. Or you can find me on Facebook at Redeeming Nutrition or on Instagram at Redeeming Nutrition. So that's my, my business name is Redeeming Nutrition, but my website is my name, Andrea Dahlman. Awesome. So I know Andrea has got a lot of good resources. So um, definitely check that out. Thank you for being here with us and answering all the questions. Um, Really enjoyed it. And for all you listeners out there, have a really healthy and blessed week. And we will talk again soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.